All right, this is Jay Kofer. This is the Land Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. This is part of the Land Buyer series. This is step number three with Neil Hogger. Now, I was getting ready to get on an airplane and fly out to the Great American Outdoor Show, outdoor show where I'm at right now. And my internet was goofing up or Zoom was goofing up, and I'm not quite sure what happened. So we were about 40-ish minutes deep into this conversation, a really productive one. And then for whatever reason... We hit some turbulence with the internet. So there's going to be a part two of this step three because we had time constraints and technical difficulties. But regardless, this is a really great conversation. And um, we have all the notes lined up for a part two. That's going to be even better. So keep an eye out for that. We'll be uh, reconnecting with Neil and talking all about that. And then next week, we have a first time land buyer series podcast. And it's a great one talking about how a teacher bought his first parcel and breaking down the entire process i was able to help represent him so it was a really fun conversation so we have some great podcasts here in the docket the very end of this like i said there's some technical difficulties don't get frustrated if the internet goofed up we're doing what we can so if uh if it gets too annoying feel free to tune into next week's episode and keep this podcast earmarked for part two of this so anyways hope you guys enjoy it as always head over to linktree if you'd like to sign up for resources leave a written review if you enjoy the episode and until next time see you guys all right we're live i have neil hogger back once again how's it going this morning neil doing good jake thanks for having me back yeah so this is uh you're part of the series here i did we're in the mini series of breaking down an entire lane transaction from start to finish and uh, you're assisting here with step number three which is all about writing an offer and i think some people would think that that's really maybe it's not that big of a deal people focus on maybe the, the financing or focus on actually finding what is the farm more so but once you find the fish you want to catch it's important to reel it in and uh, we're talking about how to improve that but i'll give you a, a quick moment to introduce yourself here briefly we've uh let's see i'm trying to think the other one was the fab five uh episodes that you were on and the other one was the um the uh gosh i'm drawing a blank here we recorded on thanksgiving and it was all about what to, what not to do when you flip a farm so here you go here's right, your intro right. all right well i've been uh, my name is neil hogger i'm a land specialist with whitetail properties real estate and i've been uh doing uh land sales real estate with whitetail properties for about seven years and um I got a, I got into it after a career of about 25 years in the medical device industry mainly. I did some nursing for a decade. I did some um, military as a, a hospital corpsman. My best duty was with the Marine Corps as a, kind of a battlefield medic. Um, I am a landowner. I, I, I bought my first farm in 2005, um, but I bought, bought a lot of real estate. I own residential real estate and rentals and VRBOs and lakefront property and so i just kind of always been into that but as far as this podcast goes um i now own a farm that i bought a couple years ago called indian creek it's 121 acres and i do rent it vrbo but i it's my pride and joy food plotting deer hunting all the mm-hmm. things we like to talk about yeah that's awesome yeah so a, a, a full palette of real estate here oh, yeah. so yeah it, and i think that brings an interesting layer to this conversation because i'm sure you've written a lot of offers uh, on your behalf of yourself and then beyond that for clients. So um, a lot of value here to to discuss. And so, yeah, so I mean, ultimately now, if people have been following this series, they've already nailed down their financing, nailed down the search, nailed down the, basically now they've picked out a farm and it's time to write something up. 
And uh, I would say, let's just dive right into this. We have a ton of notes to go through, uh, some really good pieces of information. And so let's just dive right into the do's and don'ts of writing a purchase agreement on a farm you actually want to buy. <laughs> so not, not just the tariff yeah, picture sure. offer. So what, right. uh, what, well, data, what data have you typically kind of seen here on writing an offer based off the listing price? You know, um, the first thing, you know, that I think is most important, obviously, is writing that offer. And there's so many things that we could talk about in this process. I mean, it's, I'm not going to say I have the market cornered on the knowledge here. There's a lot of ways. You're right. I've seen probably hundreds and hundreds of offers that I've either written or other agents uh, have written and brought to me. But so to kind of narrow some things down, like let's just start with the offer price. You know, most of the offers that I do that seem to get accepted um, is they're going to come in probably three to 5% of asking price, I would say, if not full price, even now. Uh, and, you know, the market is pretty crazy right now and there's so much competition. Um, but if people, if your listeners are thinking, you know, where am I going to buy this property? I, I typically tell my people that, you know, three to 5% of the asking price is that kind of that sweet spot where, you know, you feel like you negotiate a little bit because everybody feels like they want to get a deal and the, and the seller feels like they got near their price on it. Cause they probably started a little higher than maybe even that they thought they would get. And so that, that spot puts them right where they probably really wanted to be. Now you might find people that say, I'm not selling for anything less than full price. And then you might get in a situation where there's multiple offers. And so, mm -hmm. As a buyer, if you're representing that buyer, your agent, you got to kind of feel that out. You know, are you gambling on this? And if, if, if you really, really want that property in the sense that there's a lot of competition, you might be making an above asking uh, price and just going for it. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's maybe something that, yeah, I, I could live without, I, you know, I, I'm going to make a fair price. This is market it's driven by the data. And my agent, Jake, has showed me everything I need to know. And this mm -hmm. is where I'm going to be. But. That's probably the sweet spot. It's the ones that I, you know, get that start 10, 15% under asking. I've had 20%. Um, I had a guy say, you know, um, cash can often buy a property for 80 cents on the dollar. And that could be true with the right seller. But in this market mm -hmm. that we're in right now, and, you know, the time that we're recording this, it's, there's so much competition. I just don't see people feeling the need to let a property go that cheap. So, Mm -hmm. That'd be the first tip I'd say three to 5%. Yeah. And I think some properties are obviously easier to buy with cash. Maybe there's some issues. Maybe there's an access issue and you're going to figure that out post-purchase. Um, would you agree with that to where a cash, a cash deal can really, you know, hedge you into something special, but it's far and few in between. I, you know, I, I'm going to say it's far and few between because right now, everybody that I talk to thinks that they have the best property around. Sure. And while you and I and probably our astute listeners look at access and, you know, which predominant wind directions and, you know, all the stuff that we do because we're looking at these from a recreational standpoint for hunting. I find that a lot of these people don't, they don't recognize that. Mm -hmm. They just don't see it. They don't put a value to it. They don't devalue it and they don't necessarily put a value to it or maybe definitely they don't devalue their properties. It's not a negative to them. They just don't take it into consideration mm -hmm. at all. So I've noticed that a lot. Yeah. So what about, I, I hate to look in the past, but five years ago, was that still probably about 8% of the list price on, you know, obviously there's outliers, but on average, that's what you maybe yeah. have seen about a half you know, a decade when I ago. I got into the business. 
Yeah, when I got into the business, I actually was taught that from my broker because I kind of wanted a guideline myself. It's like when I do this with people, what's the, what's the target? And he, he said, Jeff Evans is my broker, a great guy at Whitetail, one of the founders actually. And uh, Jeff said, you know, 3 to 5% is kind of that sweet spot and probably, um, you know, on average, we're going to sell that property in around six months. So give or take a month or two on either side of that if everything is kind of done right. So mm-hmm. it's a fair deal for the buyer and a fair deal for the seller. Those are kind of like some universal things. And I would say that as the market has shifted a little bit um, to what it is now where you can't even find a property. And when you do, it's, you know, there's a lot of competition or they're pricing it really high. That may be changing a little bit, but that's a, that's a universal guideline that I think you can start a negotiation with just in the back of your mind. So Whatever mm-hmm. you come out to be, you, you'll feel like, okay, I got a reasonable deal. So. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. And to know, <clears throat> like you said, everyone wants to feel like they got a great deal, which I understand. And no one wants to overpay for anything too. So, um, but right. I would say it probably boils down to more so than anything of making sure those properties are priced appropriately to begin with. So, you know, a property that's been sitting on the market forever has had no interest. I would assume if the sellers are realistic, would take less, but a lot of times that's not the case. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've got some deals right now um, that I, you know, I would uh, admit they're, they're priced high and uh, they're, uh, they're above the market, depending on how you define the market and the the type of land. And we could get into a discussion like the psychology of, you know, what's my land look like and sell like, and who's going to buy it. But I mean, if you just look at the data, that, you know, it's, it's higher than the data and it flat out is. And, but then when you talk to the sellers, like, you know, I really don't care if I ever sell it. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. And you, know, you get those guys too. And um, so sometimes you have to look at that data, the pricing and the time on market. There's, there could be a story behind that. Mm-hmm. And I think that all goes to where the land is. I mean, you know, I have different things going on in my own territory. I have a very diverse territory here in Western Wisconsin. And, you know, when you get down in Buffalo County, there's a lot of, desire for that land there's a lot of people after it and these guys know it they know what they've got and they're just flat out not in a hurry and then someday you'll hear the chatter on like some of the websites and the chat pages like oh yeah he'll never get that you know he's smoking <laughs> something and then another guy will come in and say no he'll get it it's just a matter of time it's just somebody's gonna come along that has cash you know and mm-hmm. so you get a lot of comments like that and, and there's probably some truth to that guys i mean if you if you're an owner of land, you one thing I've learned from these old guys that own land is don't be in a hurry. Don't mm. be in a hurry. Because if you're not in a hurry, you'll find it. And sometimes they we actually even outprice the market it, it, with a little speculative flair. So we're speculating that the market may catch up to us. Mm-hmm. And so, nobody, I, you know, from everyone that like pushed the limits outside the market, it's like you set the market because you were the one that paid for a property but and from a seller you may not want to be that guy either but there's always going to be that guy i mean mm-hmm. there's somebody in that market's going to be can you believe in 1990 they were buying land at you know 300 an acre in buffalo county and i'm like yeah i do because i remember trying to buy it and thinking it was so expensive and then <laughs> by 1997 it was three thousand dollars an acre are you kidding me mm-hmm. you'll never get out and then here we are in 2022 and it's there are sales that are happening at $7,500 an acre and, you know, even higher. Sometimes I've heard rumors of some deals. So 
I mean, what is a fair price? I don't know. A fair price is whatever somebody's willing to pay. That's yeah. What it is. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head of, well, you know, what's the fair, fair market value? That? Well, whatever someone's willing to pay that. I mean, that's what it boils down yeah. to. So I think that's, that's a really good starting point. So people are, you know, it, mentally they're trying to get ready to write, you know, ink up a offer. So having that three to 5% asking price of asking price, maybe 8% as you made mention in the back of your mind, but in terms of actually writing that initial offer, is there, from what you've seen, any psychology or strategy of of writing that? And it obviously depends on how much you want the property and, and how much of a fit is yeah. for you. But any any insight on that? Yeah. There, again, there's a lot of qualifiers in this, but this is a general rule, I think, is the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. Don't mm -hmm. overthink these offers and don't make them so complicated because especially in this market, I mean, what you're asking the guy to do is to take his property off of the market while you get your financing maybe and get your uh, appraisal done and, you know, do your inspections and all these things. So he's kind of in limbo. And you're kind of in the driver's seat at this point if you can get him to accept that. And and but having a lot of you know contingencies like that, making it very complicated, um, really do in a in a negative you know situation as far as getting your offer accepted. And the the best one or the worst one that I think is I have buyers that come and they want they want to buy these farms so bad i mean i i mean you it's oozing out of them they're almost crying that they want it so bad <laughs> and uh, but they say okay so i have i have to sell my house and i have i i got a pre you know i kind of i've been to my banker and and you know i there's just a lot of things they kind of want to like hold the seller hostage yes in a sense and they're just not ready because they don't want any risk so to them you know you hear this a lot what what if i what if I get my place sold and now I have, you know, 60 days to get out of my house and then I go shopping. What if I don't find anything? If it's a property, maybe they're going to live on like a hobby farm or something. Mm -hmm. I could be homeless. And I got a guy doing this right now and he bought a 40 acre farm from me and it had, uh, Oh, a VA loan was another thing. And I, I kind of warned the seller. They said, you know, this VA loan is they're sticklers. They're going to, it's going to take longer. They're always slower. Sometimes, you know, inspections, they have to, got to have handrails, you got to have every light fixture, you know, done perfectly. There's just all these little details. And I warned them about that and they still took the offer, but we're coming down to the close and the guy, because he, his financing was taking a long time, he asked to extend it. And the sellers went back and like, what, what extend? What are we talking about? You said this be closed in 60 days. I said, no, I said, that's the target date, but I told you VA loans can do this. And here we got, here we are. This guy's, you know, not getting his financing done and the appraisals take up forever. They just move at their own speed. Yes. So we extended, we extended from like January 15th to March 25th to allow this guy a good month and a half. And of course I put in there, you know, we could close earlier if we, if, if we can. And, and that's great if, if people are flexible, but then all of a sudden the other side starts stalling a little bit and they haven't got their stuff out of there and they want to leave things in the, in the, the barn. They want to store it because it's winter time and they're 70 and they can't get it out of there. And, and then the buyers getting nervous, like, okay, well, I was going to store my own stuff in the barn. And by the way, we need to move this up because I got to get out of my house and I don't want to be living in a hotel while I get to that the new <laughs> farm. And it just, you know, it just got, it started getting really, really, um, complicated just a lot of things started happening there's a mm -hmm. lot of dynamics and everybody's yelling at me and, and they're they're actually calling each other and they were friends and now they're not as friendly i find out and oh boy. so keep it simple is yeah. the best thing you know don't right, complicate the deal earnest yeah. money don't complicate it yep yeah i couldn't agree more where people you know sometimes 
if it's advertised and people want to try to start throwing in personal property. And I'm going to guess you don't sell personal property, you sell real estate. And so it's when you start trying to add all these yeah. different pieces of personal property in here, it's like, no, this, if you guys want to do that outside of this transaction, please do. But I don't want the deal to fall apart because right. they didn't leave. Uh, I don't know, you know, something silly, uh, some yeah, sort of no, little small implement. That, that's a great point. And like, I, I have a property now and, and the guy says, everything's included with the sale. And I'm like, okay, everything is, yep. Everything. I said, okay, what's everything? Well, I'm going to take this and that and that and this and that. And he kind of <laughs> yep. rips off a list. I said, okay, so it's not everything. It's everything but that. Yeah, but everything else is included. I said, all right, how about if you, can you make me a list of what's not included? That might be the shorter list. And, and I still never got it from him. So then I bring, you know, a buyer there. And when you talk about the KISS principle, it might even go to the seller, like help me keep it simple, right? Yes. So he's like, well, what's included? And, and some people are more gray. Like I sold, I sold a property in St. Croix County to uh, one of my owners of Whitetail, Pete Alfano. And Pete Alfano came in and said, I'll give him everything I see here. He walks away and I'll give you a check for this much. And he just, that was it. And he never came back and like counted every, you know, screw and, every, you know, he mm -hmm. just did. It was like, he kind of, it was like a trust thing. But I've had other people who are very detailed. They want it down to the letter and they want a list, an itemized list. And I've gone everything from, you know, you need to make me a list too. How about if you go through and stick a post-it note on everything you're taking or better yet, how about just get it out of there now mm -hmm. so I could come back in there and show the guy and then never go back in there again. And, but there's a little bit of, you know, what's included and what's not included. It can get ugly and it, it bogs on a transaction. So I would, my advice that would be, you know, be a little flexible, you know, don't be super detailed. They on the big stuff, right? But on the little stuff, you know, it's just like, whatever, I can replace that comforter that was on that bed. And I've yeah, heard right. people say, there was a comforter there. It's in your photos. You said everything. Yeah. It's not there now. So a yeah. little flexibility on both sides always goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's sometimes the question, it begs the question, do you even want to buy this? Like, <laughs> or you're putting up all these uh, false blockades and barriers of, of these different things um, on both parties. Uh, but what, so... Let's talk about I think, actually. I, I oh, go think ahead. it's helpful just. I, I was just gonna say I think it's people just have to feel like they got over on the guy, like they got the better end of the deal, and that's. Mm -hmm. I would caution my buyer like just just kind of relax, okay? Because a lot of these deals, you're not you're not even gonna remember these details like this when you own it a month later. It's gonna mm -hmm. be gone. You're gonna be in there food plotting and hunting. You're gonna feel good. So just let yeah. it go. That's that's good advice. So. Let's talk about actually presenting an offer. So it, what does that look like for you in your mind? I couldn't hear. I lost. Six oh, I said, let's talk about actually uh, presenting an offer fairly. What does that look okay. like to you in your mind? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, the typical way is uh, you write the offer, you get the buyer signature, and you just send it over to your, your agent. And that guy you trust him, he's going to take it and present it fairly. And that's the typical way. And for the most part, I'd say that works pretty well. But I have had some situations, and I won't give specific names or anything, but I've had a couple of situations where I could not get an offer accepted by this agent or this company, no matter what I did. It just never happened. And the other day, I got a call from a guy, and, and I don't know if he listens, but he he's he's put in like five offers into this one company and I think the same agent within that company and he called me and he says, what is the deal I can't seem to buy anything 
Like I've, I've made offers and they just, I just never get them. And then I find out the property sold, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, what's going on? Can you help me? And I'm like, well, you know, all right. You know, I, I'm thinking to myself, but I, do I, I don't want to talk down about this company to buy, but I, I kind of know who they are. And you know, it is like, oh, well, you kind of get what you get, you know, but, um, so some things that you can do that I've done in the past is present your offer yourself. And write it right into the offer with your agent that I that you must be present or the agent must be present or together you must be present and you can do it in the presence of their buyer and that selling agent and it's a I don't think it's a tactic that's used often and I've only tried to employ it uh, once or twice mm-hmm. but that way you can kind of control so you can go in there and think about the psychology of the sale and you know if I paint a picture you know you got these 70 80 year old people that have lived in these farms forever and it means a lot to them and a lot of times you know they have to buy you before you're going to buy the farm mm-hmm. and, so, and so you could you could get them to sit down with you and just kind of slow roll it and take it and take it really slow and and sometimes they will let their guard down in a sense they just will feel better it might not be all about the price they might just be wanting the right person and if you if you're not there and you're leaving it up to the quality of that other person or the way that they pitch it, you just never know. So you know from the and I'm not saying that agents are unscrupulous, but I mean let's face it, maybe they want maybe they got their own buyer, or maybe they got a better buyer. And sometimes I've seen properties not go to the highest bid. The guy with the easiest, you know, as we said, the kiss principle, the, the mm-hmm. best written offer, or just they like you better. So the downside of that is the seller agent sometimes feels like, oh, I'm losing control. And there's this thing in real estate, like don't let your buyers and your sellers talk because it can get out of control. And there is that. Next thing you know, they're buddies and they're calling each other and the agents are kind of like out of the circle. And that can go really bad too. So it's kind of a, a risky thing. But, you know, I, I did this with, I had a full price offer on a, on a farm down in Trempolo County once. And I, I knew this agent was going to not work well. And he and I just were like oil and water. We just, it just didn't, we didn't have good mojo. And so I had a, I had a full price offer and I didn't tell him this, but um, I called him up and I said, Hey, I have an offer I'd like to present to your, uh, to you and to your seller. But part of the offer is I have to be present. Mm -hmm. What? I said, yeah, I'm going to be present. I'm going to present the offer. But frankly, I didn't trust the guy. And he's like, there's this little pause. And, okay, well, what, you know, well, what is it? And I said, well, it's full price. He's like, okay, let me, let me call him and I'll get back to you in a few minutes and set up a time. He kind of like, you could tell he's like begrudgingly doing it. Right. I sat for about an, I was sat for about an hour and I get a call from him. He says, all right, I called them. They're, they don't want the offer. And I said, well, what do you mean they don't want the offer? I haven't presented it yet. Well, yeah, I told them what it was. And they, they, they don't want the offer. I said, are you kidding me? I said, what part of I had to be present to present the offer not explain clearly? And that was just, you know, that, that whole idea got blow up. <laughs> blow up. So, you know, presenting the offer to them is definitely a tactic. That was a perfect example. My offer price, it was simple, and it did get presented clearly. I mean, what he had to have said to that person, look, I know it's full price, but it's complicated or it's, I can get a better offer. You know, I can sell it for more, or maybe he just didn't want to deal, do a deal with me. Yeah. So did that, that deal was completely dead then. It just died right there. That deal, that deal died. 
Yeah. There's a thing that has really, this is something that's really resonated with me is never let a deal die in your hands, which obviously don't try to force anything, but you get some of these, (laughs) I've had this, especially just on some smaller deals where you, you present it and the this happened this week the the agent said back said i don't know the buyers seem a little wishy-washy as for back they want to buy it period it's like why would you let this die in your hands over something silly like are you kidding me um yeah yeah you know and sometimes you just don't know i mean you you could do everything from a buyer side and you could do everything from a seller agent side and like this guy that called me about, you know, this is my fifth offer. He, he had no idea what was going on. I mean, he had nothing. I said, well, did, did they reject it? Did they counter it? He goes, no, I, I didn't hear anything back. I said, five offers that you presented, you didn't get a response back? Because typical, you know, the, 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 the basis is you're at least going to get a counter, a rejection, or, um, or an acceptance. And you get it in writing. That way you at least know that they saw it. Right. But in this case, this case, he never even got anything back and in my case in that situation where i said i was going to present full price i never got a response back either they don't have to sign Mm -hmm. right but it's typical that they do right yeah yeah that's that's very interesting well golly that's that's an interesting tactic that i think you know people should at least have in the back of their mind but you're exactly right especially someone that has a lot of emotional attachment to the ground and they want to make sure whoever buys it respects it and enjoys it as much as maybe they did um, versus someone that wants to you know do something else which yeah anyhow let's dive into the actually this is this is very important this is a note you had in terms of actually describing the property well in the actual purchase agreement so uh, walk through what that may look like for someone so obviously more than likely whoever's buying a property hopefully we'll have a buyer's agent will be working with some agent in one one form or fashion but all, all offers aren't written uh, you know, completely equal. So what are some things that people really need to make sure are on there uh, for a level of protection? So you got your price and you got your earnest money there. And, um, and now you want to describe the property. And you know, like a lot of these rural properties, there may not be an address on it. It could just be land. And so the way I do it is I use PID number most often, actually, even if there is an address, a lot of times I'll use property identification number or tax ID number. In Wisconsin, we call it the PID, but it could be tax ID. And it's a number for that 40 or that 20 or whatever it is that identifies it for tax purposes. What I use is a system called the WG Extreme, and you can write in WG Extreme, St. Croix County, and it'll pop up and it'll give you maps and ownership and taxes and you can identify that number so i i transfer that number from the taxes into my offer i usually will list it out in the additional provisions and so when you do that from the taxes there's going to be a number that says it's 39.9 acres or something and and you can add that up and it'll come up to you know 158 acres which is what the guy says he's selling but sometimes it doesn't add up perfectly i found and that can cause a problem and so Um, hopefully I can explain this right. So what I do is like, okay, this offer to purchase is for P- the following PID numbers, blah, 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 list them out, comma, list it out, comma, list it out, comma, uh, equaling 158.9 acres according to the county GIS. Uh, buyer is uh, encouraged to, um, is advised to survey prior to finding acceptance or seller where is to provide survey to buyer or there, you know, there's some mention. And what I'm doing there is I, I recently had a, 
where I sold, uh, well, I advertised at 18 acres. I went to the county GIS and there was a map and I, it, it overlaid this rectangle. It said 18.1 acres. And I listed it as 18.1 and I got an offer. And the guy brought an offer and accepted the price. But part of his offer was seller was to provide a survey. And the seller said, I'm not going to provide a survey. I'm selling it as a PID number based on the county GIS, which says it's 18.1 acres. So the counter went back as counter one that we from the seller back to the saying we accept your offer of this price but we decline to provide a survey we are transferring as a pid number based on county gis uh, agent is providing a map and a second map from MapRight software that says the same amount of acreage same outline and we sent that back over to the buyer agent and they accepted it and we had to sell so we closed on that and and sometime Three months later, I get a I get an email from the agent. He goes, "You're not going to believe this, but he had it surveyed, and it's not 18 acres. It came in at like 12 point 12 or something. Yeah, it was like way off." He's like, "What the heck?" I'm like, "I have no idea. I mean, I'm looking at the county. I went back. I'm like, God, did I do something wrong here?" So I went back to the county GIS and I pulled it up. I said, "Yeah, it says 18.1, and and there's a map. And then I went to map right, and it says 18.1, and there's a map and and you asked for a survey and he declined and you bought it without a survey. So, you know, next thing I know, I get a lawyer letter and saying, you know, misrepresentation. I said, okay, what would I have done differently other than hire a surveyor myself? Right. And the answer was nothing. Right. So buyer beware, you know, he bought a lot less. So what he ended up doing is coming back and trying to negotiate saying, you know, how about the buyer refund me 50,000 bucks based on the cost per acre 18 divided by into his price it came out i'm just picking a number but it was like 13,000 so i got five acres less so five times 13,000 give me that credit back and my seller said no way you know i'm not no i'm not doing that and then he came after the agents like you guys kick back in your earnest or your uh, your commissions back to me write a check and I said, no, I don't think so. And and he ended up going away, and the lawyer finally said, yeah, there was no mistake here. And bought wow. it without a survey. That's a huge so variance was, for a small parcel, too. That, That's, is, <laughs> that wow. was a big – and there was – I don't want to get into it too much, but there was sure. a story behind the – we ended up having – after that, we ended up surveying the rest of the farm and actually getting a survey. So we we did find some things, but it wasn't anybody's fault. Nobody without that survey – would have known that these issues existed. Wow. Agents, seller, anybody. Mm-hmm. So Wow. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's very interesting. There was a, yeah, I'll, I'll save a story for a different time. Um, okay, so um, I had something similar. But anyhow, let's, um, let's cover a little bit about in terms of actually providing a map with your offer too. Um, what does that look like for you? You know what I think this is all about is this is kind of covering your butt and providing and doing the best due diligence you can and using multiple sources that all line up. Because if you get, if you provide, like I said, you go to the county GIS, WG Extreme or whatever in your area, and you provide a map of the property, it usually has an overlay. And so you look at it and you can turn on the aerial you know, Google Earth views where you can actually see fields and fences and just kind of look at it and say, does it look normal? Then maybe go to Onyx uh, Hunt. Mm-hmm. And look at that and say, yep, that kind of looks like it too. And then you look at the the map, right? And you kind of like layer multiple things on there. You're doing your due diligence because you don't have a survey. So you're just trying to see if there's something glaringly obvious that's not, you know, mat- matching across multiple 
things, then you might, hey, this doesn't match up. Something's not right here. We need to, we not, we might need to do a survey in the seller or the buyer. And then as an agent, you know, it's now that I kind of know that there's obvious discrepancies, um, then I think I'd have to do my due diligence. I have to at least document it, and it, it can get ugly from then if people don't want to take care of business and do it right. Um, but then there's other things that happen, like with with boundaries and surveys and maps and stuff. I just had this down in uh, one of my southern counties. A guy came and said, "Hey, you know that that is wrong, right? That map isn't right." I said, "No, I, I don't know that it's wrong. What do you have that says it's wrong?" Well, this fence line um, is the boundary, and it says it's here. And I said, "Well, you know, fence lines aren't always accurate." They've been there for a hundred years. You know, what do you have that says it's not accurate other than it's always been the case. So, you know, there's that kind of thing that you kind of have to be aware of, but from an agent standpoint, you know, I don't know that I have to dig into every rumor because sometimes they're, they're just trying to sabotage the sale and make it ugly and make it an issue so that a buyer just goes, geez, I don't want to get into this. You know, I don't want this, uh, I don't want a bad neighbor and I don't want, I haven't even bought the place and it's already, you know, controversy and, do I need to look into this? And then it just the neighbors can sabotage is what I'm saying. So yeah. the best maps, you know, use two or three of the generally represented tools. And I would say County GIS is one. I think MapRite is the second one. I use Acre Value Pro. I use Onyx sometimes. Um, those are all generally accepted, acceptable resources. And at least shows that you as the agent did your due diligence as best you could without a survey. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something to kind of reference as well. So that's, that's good advice. I'm going to jump, jump around here just a little bit. Let's, let's talk about actually uh, two things on average. What typically do you suggest people to put down for earnest money deposit? But the more the general accepted rule is down then outside the legal parameters of this binding agreement, you could lose your earnest. So it says to the seller that I'm serious about buying this property. I, I really want it. I'm just kind of, you know, um, so just want to tie up for day while you run around figuring out if you really want to buy it. And you got no no skin in the game. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. It'll get rejected. Yeah. So I've had that happen, and I'm like, no, come on, you got to put some earnest money down, some skin in the game, and it says you're serious. Yeah, absolutely. What about when you're writing that offer? How long do you typically give them to review it, on average, of what you suggest? I typically do 72 hours, but mainly because a lot of my sellers are older, they don't have internet, and I have to drive down there. Show it it. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's a weekend, if it's a holiday, you know, you got to be a little reasonable guys and, you know, understand the other side has a life and they may be very old and they don't make decisions fast, frankly, they just don't. So I would, I typically do 48 to 72 hours, but I, it seems like I get this more often not from residential agents and they're, they're like on pins and needles about every offer because there's like 16 offers on the table and they want to push it. And I generally get except uh, a negative reaction from my sellers when they see that they almost laugh and go, yeah, all right. And I'm like, look, you just take your time and realize that this deadline is there and it invalidates the offer. 
if you go past it, it's, it's no longer. But take your time, make a good decision, and then what we'll do is we can counter one, do a counteroffer number one back to them and say, we accept it with the following criteria and the binding acceptance date is, is moved to this date. So we'll just account for it, and that's what I typically do. But 48 to 72 hours is my general answer for a binding acceptance uh, response, and a short timeline says it's you're rushing them, and they act, react negatively to that. Yeah, I, no one wants to feel rushed in a decision ever. That's that's good advice. And I know from the perspective of a buyer, they're hoping they're going to have however many sleepless nights that <laughs> that that offers a valid for meaning. If it's 72 hours, they're probably not going to sleep very well for a couple nights, as I'm sure right. they're excited to hear back. But that's just part of the game. You want to make sure people aren't rushed and you feel like they're trying to force their hand, which I certainly guarantee it does not end well. Now, what about, do you suggest on average for people to, I mean, a lot of contracts have just an attorney writer, which basically says that you have the right to have, you know, send it to your attorney, have them review it within the first five business days. If they have any changes to suggest, they'll send it over. Do you typically see people exercise that right? Or what are your just general thoughts on that? I know you're not an attorney, but. Yeah, very rarely. And when I do, I just kind of go, oh gosh, here we go. You know, because it's like they almost feel compelled to red line and make changes. And then the yes. deal comes back and it's got lines scrawled out. And then that guy feels like, oh gosh, now what did this just do to me? Now I have to go a lawyer up. So I have to go my, have my lawyer go, no, that stays in. And, you know, it just, it gets to be a legal battle. And I just cringe when I see that. But honestly, very rarely, I don't do I see that. In Wisconsin, you know, we have the Wisconsin Realtors Association, WRA.org, and they have lawyers on staff, and they they look at these contracts, and we have really good contracts in Wisconsin that are made available to us with revision dates and a date that that was revised and updated, and a lot of that comes from the feedbacks and the situation that, that us as the agents feed into them, and they'll look at it, and if they hear it, they'll go, oh, yeah, let's address that little segment. So. Every section is very, you know, line, it's all line by line, you know, line 421 to 426 talks about, you know, whatever. And they, they revise those and, and do it. So our, our forms are very well written. Now, I know that's not in every state. And I've seen offers come in where they were from like an in-house offer from Edina Realty or something. And I'm not saying that was the one, but from a, another brokerage, it's like an in-house. I've seen it. And I'm like, I don't know, man. It's like, obviously, they probably, I should say obviously, but potentially they tweak this slightly to the benefit of their client that they're representing. So you have to be aware of that. And mm -hmm. it, it probably varies every single state. Yeah, I would. That's that's pretty good feedback. And I would say an, an attorney can often, yeah, muddy the waters and and maybe yeah. jeopardize the potential uh, buyer actually moving forward. I've seen that happen a handful of times and it's the same thing. Like, yeah, I mean, I think it, having some level of protection or someone you trust to look it over and make sure that everything's squared away, but don't go poking the bear and then be mad when the deal blows up. Yeah. You know, I had one recently where the lawyer looked at it and he goes, wow, this is a great offer. He, this agent really wrote this very well. And I was like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, it's not, it's not always a bad thing, but every now and then you'll get one and you just, you know, they feel compelled to do something just to earn their money. They got a red line, something. And it's just, so I don't know. It's a personal comfort thing. I guess what I'm saying. If you feel compelled, you have to do it. Just realize if you start red lighting, it could be not good from the, the seller's perspective when you hand it back to them. 
Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, let's say you walk this property and there is different, just debris, trash, garbage, old buildings that are falling over. What, yeah. what are your thoughts on something like that on the perspective of a buyer thinking, I don't want to deal with that. Or maybe they think, well, I can deal with it, but maybe a, a words of advice of, of letting them know what they may be getting into. <laughs> yeah, man, I tell you what, you got to realize these farms have been there a lot of them for 150 years in the upper Midwest since 18, you know, 40s, probably the oldest one. Mm-hmm. And almost every farm I've ever been on, there's a coulee, a ditch, and they didn't used to have, you know, uh, a t- dump truck that came by and they'd roll their garbage bins out to the end of the driveway. It would go in the ditch. And you find these ditches everywhere. And a lot of them are using it almost like as erosion control, you know, mm-hmm. they start doing that, but they're, I've seen everything in ditches like you wouldn't believe. It's like it's like rusty gold. I mean, you go down there, it's like wow, you could you could see the years of whatever refuse in here, all the way up to the you know mattresses and garbage, fresh garbage with baby diapers. Um, but as a as a buyer of these recreational lands, you almost have to realize that it's everywhere. As an agent, I typically take photos of it and I just there I come to it and they'll look at it and. Cringe and something go, yeah, I know. See that a big deal. Um, when you see it, can be everything from big deal to I had an agent once start pointing it out, and he started like, There's arsenic cans in there, and there's like, there's like herbicides and pesticides, and you know, that that could leach downstream, and that could be a that could be a super fun cleanup site. So here's my offer, and I think I'm gonna have to clean this up. And you know, I want you to um, have the sellers do a soil test on the downstream side of this because I'm pretty sure this is contaminated. And 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 the seller went, no, I don't think so. See you later, buddy. And and he's like, well, you have to do this. I said, no, they don't. They don't go searching for things. Well, you have to tell them now because you know of it. I said, I don't know anything that's there. I just see a garbage dump, and I, I I'm not a garbage chemical inspector. So, no, I don't have to do that. And what he was trying to do is set it up and make them find something and then make them know about something and then have, to, have to do disclose. something about yeah. it. And, yeah. Right. I mean, it was all about, there was the psychology. And I'm like, okay, buddy, you're, again, the kid's principal. You should, yeah. should learn that. And and <laughs> so as an agent, you know, there's, there's uh, material adverse events and adverse facts and that, you know, if I know something is amiss there, or I really suspect it because I have great evidence. Like I see bubbling green goo in a ditch. Yeah, I might have to look into that a little bit. But you know, these these dump sites are everywhere. So, from perspective, you know, a lot of times that can be a sign. It could be a sign that yeah, it's normal. It could be a sign that they really don't have, care about the property. Um, they haven't been there for years. They don't even know it's there. And I've had a situation about on my own blog. Um, about the crappy farm and it was a farm that I sold and it was just junk everywhere and it, it, we actually used the tool to present it out to the seller that this is not worth as much as the local area because of all this and there was tires and stuff and it's literally taken him three five years now stuff on it so it was used as a way to get you know but really, now it's that toxic stuff, but it's taken a dollar farm 
now three grand for happy far away from to in the perspective. Sometimes, you know, I it's real and real estate and you can do a real ad house and they garbage. Smell garbage that I smell because I'm gonna clean this up in a couple of days. So not all that you see standing around. Yeah, you you were cutting out a little bit, but I think I got most of that um, in terms of of how that could work to your benefit or or vice versa. Um, do you ever wonder how the heck random cars get in random places when you're when you're touring farms? But you know, you think about it, a lot, a lot of these farms have changed so much. Yeah, hundred years, right? Here in more than two our state was all four. You come in there, you square or these ground. Remember, that was what sometimes, you know, these, uh, these cars driven out there when they were walking and clearing, and then they just got left them then come back years later, whatever, find an old sitting out there just going through it. Well, I've been there since 1920, you know, 100 years, and didn't always hit look at that. You gotta wonder, like, how, how did they get here? But landscape changed a lot. I probably account for it. Yeah, I love, I love uh, going to the different old aerial aerial images and just seeing how much landscape changes. Uh, or where, like, wow, I didn't realize that was actually productive dirt or quote unquote productive. And then, um, you know, I, I think that's something really cool. And that, to your point, will help you realize of why some ground is differently. I even um, at my house here, there's an old abandoned road that is on the edge of the property and you can kind of just see it faintly now and there's trees that have grown up over it but it's just cool to see how much things change over time and how much some things just stay exactly the same all right we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the land podcast as always head over to linktree for all those different resources thanks again for neil for taking the time to discuss this i wish the internet or zoom did not goof up but we will have a part two hope you have a wonderful week Until next time, see you guys. If you're in Pennsylvania and want to stop by at the Great American Outdoor Show, head over to the Archery Hall at Exodus. If you want to claim our Showtime special, use the code SHOWTIME at checkout to save 15% off the Exodus render or any render bundle. And see ya.